we're coming to the conclusion of our study throughout the book of Colossians. Uh, We're going to be wrapping up this book over the next two weeks, this week and next week. And we have been looking at life in the family of God. You may come to a casual reading of of the end of this book and you're reading all these names and a lot of them are hard to pronounce and you may you may ask yourself what in the world does the scripture have for me here? Well take heart because as we look into this there is just so much we can glean from these individuals that Paul has included in his final greetings to this church in Colossae. In fact, did you know that you can be surrounded by people and yet feel completely isolated? You can be surrounded by people and feel lonely. You can feel despondent. Did you know that you can be in the midst of a full house yet inwardly be struggling with an empty soul? You can be sitting here this morning in a crowded or with the snow, maybe semi-crowded auditorium, yet your mind is even further crowded, which has separated you from individuals even sitting next to you. You can have on your agenda this week a full schedule, yet in the midst of that full schedule, Live purposeless days. You can be a talker and be very outgoing and be a person of many words, yet shallow depth. On and on we could go, where the outward does not meet the inward. And we see that quantity does not equal quality. I came across a study that I just wanted to share with you. This was done in May of 2014. It says the National Science Foundation reported in its general social survey that unprecedented numbers of Americans are lonely. Published in the American Sociological Review and authored by Millie McPherson, Lynn Smith-Loving, and Matthew Brashears, sociologists at Duke and the University of Arizona The study featured 1,500 face-to-face interviews where more than a quarter of the respondents, or one in four, said that they have no one with whom they can talk about their personal troubles or triumphs. It goes further and says, if family members are not counted in this mix, the number doubles to more than half of Americans who have no one outside their immediate family with whom they can share confidences. Sadly, the researchers noted increases in social isolation and a very, quote, significant decrease in social connections to close friends and family. In fact, don't we even see a lot of that today with... uh, the the plethora of social networks that are available, yet individuals saying they struggle with loneliness? The sad news with this survey is I wonder how different these statistics would be for many that are inside 
the local church? How many inside this local church would say, I am struggling with loneliness even though I have been put in a local family of God? See, believers in a local church body, get this, are expected. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good thing to do. It is an expectation in the Bible for believers to be living in true community with one another. It's a norm. It's not the exception. It's not the A-plus student, so to speak. It is to be the norm. But is this the case? We're going to see from our text that in order to be experiencing true biblical community, and maybe a good way to start it before we even say this word true biblical community, have you, ever, have you ever been talking to someone and you're using the same terms and have completely different definitions and, and you're not seeing eye to eye because your definitions are, are, are not matching? Biblical community is not that I have friends that I like to talk about uh, deer hunting. No offense, the, the, it's, the hat's still valuable. <laughs> it's not about talking about whether Penn State won the football game. Or you can go to clubs for that stuff. You can enjoy that type of social interactions anywhere. Biblical community in the local church is to be below the surface where we are coming alongside one another, encouraging each other, helping each other in our spiritual walks. You see, this type of community requires a receptivity or an openness to community, first and foremost. In other words, I am going to have the heart attitude in my life that will allow people to reach out to me. I'm not going to keep everyone at an arm's distance. Did you know you can sign up for a, a connection group here at our church and go every week and never once experience true biblical community? Ministries, connection groups, things like that are meant to be avenues to help you discover true biblical community, but they themselves never produce it. It is, an, it is an individual working in the heart that, that is a receptivity or a desire to be open to have others reach out to me. And then secondly, it is a proactiveness in community of purposefully seeking to reach out to other people. So there's an openness that I'm going to allow people to reach out to me and I'm going to be honest and I am also going to reach out to others. Listen, if you're not experiencing true biblical community at, at Covington Baptist Church, I think before you look outward at other people in the church and nobody reaches out to me, you need to look inwardly and say, who am I reaching out to to seek biblical community? If I'm not reaching out, it's that old principle in Proverbs, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. There has to be that openness in both of those areas, a receptivity and a proactiveness. 
And it is only in, as we're going to see in our passage of Colossians, it is only in this idea, in this context of what community looks like among God's family, that true mission and service will ever be found. So our key thought for today is this, and I'd like you to read it with me as we have it on the overhead. God's people are called to community. Let's read that again. God's people are called to community. No exceptions. We're going to start reading in verse 7. We are going to um, stop at the end of verse 11 for this week. And let's just start reading these final greetings that Paul gives to this church He says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. If we see nothing else in this passage, we see that we are called to biblical community. Let's pray. Father, as we just open up your word and we seek to, 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 to see what it is saying, Father, I pray that your spirit would be active in our hearts, active in our midst. Lord, we know that you are meeting with us But Father, what we desire is that you would awaken our senses to your presence. Father, would you show us our need of community? Father, maybe there's individuals here that are are living with smiles on their faces, but isolation in their hearts. Father, you have placed us sovereignly here in this body. Father, there are things you want to teach us through our interactions with one another. Father, your word is to go out through our partnerships together. So Lord, would you show us this morning what we are truly called to? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you convict us of our sins? Would you show us Christ in a greater way? In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to see from verses 7 to 11 one main point regarding the call to community that God's people have been given. And that is the lesson that we serve alongside one another. We're going to look at two other implications of the community to which we are called to, but this morning the one implication that we are going to look at is as a group of people called to community, we are called to serve alongside one another. 
I like what one individual says. The, the, the statement will be on the overhead for you. He says this concerning this closing section in Colossians 4. In this closing section, therefore, acts of greetings point to the interdependence of believers. Not independence, interdependence. In other words, we are dependent upon one another. In the mutual greetings, human insufficiency is acknowledged alongside the all-sufficiency of Christ. You're going to be able to unpack that um, tonight or this week in your connection groups, but realizing that as humans, we are insufficient. We are independent, or we are interdependent upon one another, but all of that is to reflect the sufficiency that we have in Christ. And what we're going to see this morning are three thoughts regarding our call to serve alongside one another. First of all, I want to just share with you principle number one from verses seven and eight. You cannot go it alone. You cannot go it alone. Why is this? Because we are wired for purposeful fellowship. Paul begins, verse 7, by saying, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. So who is this guy, Tychicus? He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Notice the relational description that that this guy Tychicus has with Paul? He's beloved. He's faithful. And he's my fellow servant. And all of this stems not from the buddy-buddy that, that, that Tychicus and Paul, man, their personalities just came together and they, they just hit it off right away. No, all of this stems from the last little phrase that your Bible says that he is all of this in the Lord. Do you know where Paul found his sufficiency, and his desire for biblical community, it was in his call of Christ into the Christian community. Many of you will say, you know what? I am an independent guy. I'm an introvert. You know, I'm a lady and I'm an introvert and it's a struggle for me to connect with people. I just don't need that. You know, the Bible says that it is not a matter of wiring, it is not a matter of personality, it is not a matter of of what you feel you need, what you feel you don't need. We are wired for purposeful fellowship. That may look different for different people, but if there are not people speaking truth into our life, we are not experiencing what God has intended We notice this missional focus regarding Tychicus. He will tell you all about my activities. You see also here that Paul, in his seeking to minister to the Christian community, is not just just content that it is Tychicus who's beloved, 
that's faithful, that's my fellow servant with me. No, he in mission is sent by Paul to the church. You see, Paul's friendship was secondary to the cause of the gospel. Many times we have friendships that are based out of convenience or comfort. And Paul says, no, the relationships that I have established are ones that God has implemented into my life and they're ones that I want to bless you, Christian, with. You see, so many times we are content to have those relationships in our lives that simply kind of uh, tickle our, our funny bones, so to speak, or you know, have people around us that tell us things that we want to hear. But maybe God has given you that fellow brother, that fellow sister in this body that maybe you don't naturally get along with or maybe they can rub you the wrong way. But you know what? They're going to speak truth into your life and that truth you need to hear. You see, relationships in biblical community are much more than just for personal edification. They are for the spread, the furtherance of the gospel, both in your life and in others' lives. He sent, and he sent specifically to edify, to build up this body. The same thing we read and we've looked at in Colossians 2, 1-2, that Paul's ultimate desire is that the church's heart would be encouraged. They'd be knit together in love. And all of this would center, verse 2 of chapter 2 says, from the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You see, the encouragement that Tychicus would bring the Colossian believers would come in the work of the gospel. It would come as he reports and tells all about Paul's activities and how God is still on the throne and he is doing a work in his world. That is where the encouragement would come. It would not come through circumstances. Because if it would come through circumstances, Tychicus would be coming back to the Colossian church saying, well, Paul's in jail, not freed yet. And it could very easily turn, in, turn into a, a moan and groan type atmosphere. But Paul is excited because he's saying, hey, despite all of the circumstances, as I've asked you to pray in verses 2 to 6, the gospel is at work. God is giving open doors. You see, we are wired for purposeful fellowship. If you want to ask yourself, am I experiencing today true biblical community, even if it's on an individual level with one, two, three individuals, ask yourself, when is the last time someone has gotten below the surface in my life and has shared with me the hope of the gospel and has met me in a specific spiritual need of, in my life? Has that happened? 
Not who do I enjoy talking about hobbies with or any of those things, but when is the last time that someone, because of my openness and transparency, has been able to be a balm of healing to my soul? Has even been able to reprove me in an area that I maybe needed some correction? That is what we are called to as Christians. Because we are wired for true, purposeful fellowship. But you see, we cannot go it alone, not only because we are wired for this type of fellowship, but number two, because we have to see that others can take us where we cannot go. Others can take us where we cannot go. Now, I'm not talking about using people. You know, getting on LinkedIn or something like that because maybe I'll get, a, uh, I'll get a connection with this guy who could connect me with this guy and I could get a better job than where I'm at. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually and for the kingdom of God. Others can take us where we cannot go as individuals. A perfect example, again, is Tychicus is able to build up the body of Christ in, perp- in person, verse 8, when Co- Paul could not be there. Verse 8 says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. But then in verse 9, we see another example of an individual going where Paul could not go, this individual who is called Onesimus. Verse 9 says, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. You see, not only is Tychicus sent to build up the body, Onesimus is sent as a living example of the work of the gospel in a life. How many of you have ever heard of this guy named Onesimus? A few of you. Onesimus was once a servant. In fact, if you read the book of Philemon, it's only one chapter long. A slave owner, Philemon, has a runaway slave, and guess what his name is? Onesimus. Guess who? Phile- guess what church Philemon is a member of? The Colossian church. And somewhere along the way, when you read the book of Philemon, Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, which, by the way, was punishable by death in the first century, he just so happens, right, to run across Paul. And he sees the hope of the gospel. That his identity is not an identity of being a slave. His identity is one who is created in the image of God. And as he accepts Christ, his identity is a follower of Jesus. And Onesimus now is a brother to Philemon. In fact, in Philemon, verses 10 and 11, Paul says this, I appeal to you, writing to this slave owner, Philemon, for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. 
Formerly, he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and to me. You see, imagine, imagine as the Colossian church gets together and the company that that Paul has sent, they are going to stand up before this church and they are going to read this letter that Paul wrote them, that we've taken months to study. And you see on the front row of Paul's cohort, his, his people that came to visit the church, you see the runaway slave. This guy had a past. A past that was punishable by death. But he also had a present. You see, here in Colossians, verse 9, he likewise is described as a faithful and beloved brother. He says, he's one of you. He's from Colossae. You know him. Look at what the gospel is doing. Not just what the people are telling you, but what has happened in the life of this individual. Philemon, verses 15 and 16, Paul goes on to write, to Philemon and says, for this perhaps is why he was departed for you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. How much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In other words, Philemon is now to accept him back in grace and mercy, not just as a runaway slave, but as a fellow brother in Christ. Folks, that's the work of the gospel. I mean, how dare we put upon ourselves, if we are Christians, an identity other than Christ? You read in newspapers and you read across our culture today, individuals put an identity on themselves. I'm this, I'm that, I'm pro this, I'm anti this. Folks, those are lies of the devil, if we are followers of Christ, to make us think that we are defined by something other than the person of Christ. This was a report of the gospel that you have living proof of what was being told to the church. We see a third individual, however, that's mentioned. It's this man with the weird name Aristarchus. And then he says, just very quickly, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. You see, Aristarchus was a fellow sufferer for the gospel. It's interesting that in verse 7, Tychicus is referred to as what? A fellow servant. But now you have a different description of this individual Aristarchus. He is a fellow prisoner or a fellow sufferer. He could not go with this group to Colossae to report what is being done. 
he was staying with Paul because he was bound with Paul. He can only greet the church. But we see here again God's providence in biblical community that while the church would enjoy fellowship, so would Paul. The deepest of of relationships in the context of community are so many times those relationships where individuals have either, are either going through or have gone through very similar things to what we are going through. And not just that they can put an arm around you and be able to say, keep going, but the richest of relationships is when they can encourage you biblically. They can exhort you spiritually. Hey, I know what it's like. We're suffering together. And here we see that Paul cannot go it alone. We see that others can take us where we cannot go, not just by individuals that are able to to have the reach that we can't have because they are able to go to different places, but individuals that God has placed right around us to encourage us to keep going. You know, many times you maybe have heard about the, the individual that kept, that was drowning at sea. And he's treading water. His, his boat has sunk. He's treading water in the middle of the ocean. And he's praying and praying and praying for a ship to come by. Or at least a large boat to rescue him. And he's, he's treading water, he's treading water, and the boat's not coming, the boat's not coming. But then all of a sudden, he sees a little raft that starts floating by. And he starts debating, now should I, should I, get, on that, should I get on that little raft, that little floaty piece of wood or whatever it may be? Should I get on that? No, 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 because that's not God. I'm praying for a boat. I'm praying for rescue. That's just something to cling on to. So he keeps praying, he keeps praying, keeps praying. His, his energy is getting weaker, and all of a sudden he sees a life, a life, a life tube that's floating by. No, no, that's not my answer. And before you know it, as he's taking his last breath, he's saying, God, why did you not answer my prayer? How much sense would that make? Is that maybe what our prayers are encompassed with today? I mean, we're praying very specifically for things, and maybe we have great needs. Maybe we're struggling spiritually, and there are issues on our heart that, that, that you know, we pray every, every day, God, would you take this away? Would you change this heart's desire? Would you do this? Would you do that? And we think, man, God is just not answering our prayers. Failing to realize that, that God works through people. That maybe God has given you a Christian body in this local church that yes, maybe you will have to humble yourself a little, maybe take down the guards a little, go to someone that you feel that you can trust, and yes, it involves risks sometimes. Maybe God's calling you to do that, to experience 
the healing grace that God can give. You see, Paul needed Aristarchus. God knew that Paul needed him. And God will provide our true needs. Maybe not always in the forms we would like, but he provides our needs. And then in this biblical community picture that we have for us here in this closing, we just see a quick reference and mark the cousin of Barnabas concerning whom you have received instructions. If he, welcome, if he comes to you, welcome him. Again, maybe you don't know the story of Mark, but again, we have with the mention of this individual in the community of God, we have a perfect picture of living proof of God's great grace. Mark is living proof of God's great grace. You may say, why is Mark living proof of God's great grace? Are you familiar with the story in Acts 15 where Mark, for whatever reason, he deserts Paul and Barnabas as they are spreading the gospel to unreached regions? Acts 15 says Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance, wanted to take with them John, who's called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take them, not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus. Paul's saying, hey, we are not going to take with us a guy that we cannot trust. We're not going to take with us a guy who has departed from us when we needed him the most. But folks, when you have that row as that letter is being read to that local church, and you see Mark sitting there, the Christian individual could be encouraged. You know what? There is an example of God's great grace. There is an example of the God that forgives. The God of the second chance because he is the God of the second Adam, Jesus. It is not because of us that we deserve a second chance, but it's because God sent Jesus to undo what Adam did. Therefore, God's grace is a constant in our life. But we have in this Christian community not only Tychicus who's building up the body, not only Onesimus who's an example of the gospel, a converted runaway slave, or Aristarchus who's a fellow sufferer for the gospel. Not only Mark who's living proof of God's grace in the Christian community, but then we just have a quick mention in verse 11 in Jesus who is called Justice. We see here Justice, who's an example of a faithful servant in Christ's body. Why is this so special? Because the Bible says a lot about Paul. The Bible says a lot about Peter. The Bible says a lot about John. The Bible says a lot about a lot of guys. 
But we also have people just like this. A single line is written about them. But they are just as important as anyone else. Justice is an example of a faithful servant who is unnamed or not given much detail, yet is vital to the work of Christ. Maybe this morning you feel insignificant. Maybe you have been making excuses why you can't uh, be a part of the body or why you can't serve in the body and you feel insignificant, you feel useless. Maybe you need to take to heart this little line in the Scripture that no one goes unnoticed when it comes to Jesus and His church. And then a third principle under this idea that we serve alongside one another, you cannot go it alone, is the third principle that we bless with the blessings that we have received. We bless with the blessings we have received. That is the joy of biblical community. Notice in verse 11, Paul finishes out that verse. He says, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. What is he talking about? These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. You see three individuals, Aristarchus, you see Mark, you see justice. What he's saying is, out of all the people that I have worked with and that I am sending you, there are only three Jews that have been about the work which was promised in the Old Testament about God's kingdom. The only Jews. And they are coming to you. They have been at work for the kingdom of God. You would think that it would have been reversed, that maybe there were three Gentiles. But no, it's only three Jews. And we bless with the blessings that we have received because we as Gentiles realize that we too are partakers of the kingdom of God. It is not something just for Jews. And that as we seek to do a work both in Tioga County and through our world and through partners that we have with people that we cannot reach by ourselves, we have the joy of kingdom work. We also have the blessing of kingdom fellowship. Paul says, these people have been a comfort to me and now they are going to be a comfort to you. Maybe this morning you are sitting here and you are saying, I am so thankful for Covington Baptist Church. They have met so many needs in my life, so many struggles that I've had. Maybe the next place that the Holy Spirit wants to take you is now, as Corinthians says, now with the comfort that I've given you, God says, I am going to ask you to comfort others. Paul wasn't just content to receive comfort. He was going to give it out. 
Again, this isn't a, you know, fill up your tank full of gas and drive a couple hours down and visit that church and come back. This is, this is I may never see you again, and I'm in prison, but I want you to bless this church. Folks, are you willing through sacrifice to be a blessing for the sake of God's kingdom? As we close today, we see the truth that God's people are called to community. Can we get that on the screen so we can uh, say that together? God's people are called to community. As we close today, I'm going to show you about a five, six minute video of an individual's personal testimony. And please don't pack up yet because you need to pay attention, okay? <laughs> this is an individual that was saved at a, at a, from a very complex background. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. She's written several books. In fact, if you hear her testimony and you're interested, she's written, uh, for instance, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She's written kind of a sequel to that book, Openness Unhindered, Further Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And what she is going to share is she is going to share the ministry of biblical community of a local church that would not shy away from complexities, would not compromise, but also would not shy away and how that worked in her life as she came to faith in Christ. When I became a Christian, I was also still very deeply rooted in the lesbian community. Um, I had just broken up with my, with my lover, but my heart was not in it at all. Um, I was uh, the, the faculty advisor to I don't know, four or five student LGBT groups on campus. Um, like most research professors, I had lectures to give and classes to teach in queer theory. Um, and, and quite frankly, when I first became a Christian, I was terrified because I fully expected the elders of my church to be standing in the back of my 300-person uh, feminist theory class you know, with placards like the kind I used to see at gay pride marches. Um, and I was really terrified about this. And what I was really surprised by about Christians was that they gave me the grace to work out my relationships. And they understood that I was not a blank slate and that this wasn't going to get all cleaned up in a day. My pastor and my elders and their wives and my friends in the church treated me like a person who was working but, but was not going to get all cleaned up at once. And the other thing that really amazed me about, about Christians was that they were, they, were, they were almost, I don't know, they were so sensitive to the fact that I had lost something that I valued. You know, 
nobody said to me, well, pff, Rosaria, that was sinful. Let's, you know, let's move on. Nobody said that at all. I mean, people knew that, that my, it was a sinful relationship, but my, my ex-lover was an image bearer of a holy God, and she did amazing things in the world. And, and, and I was really going to not only miss her, but miss the, 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 the house that we had together, miss the, our dogs and our dishes and, and the view of the lake from the window. I, I, I lost a lot. And, and I was amazed that my, my Christian friends knew that, that they, they, they grieved with me. I was also amazed at how kind my, my Christian, my, my new, my, these Christians were to the people I had left behind. I was amazed that they understood that they lost more even than I did because they didn't have union with Christ. They didn't have the hope of the gospel. All they had was this woman who had been a, um, an activist and a friend and a trustworthy person who became a betrayer and a danger. And they were really sensitive to what their needs were and what their problems were. And, and then finally, I was, I, was, I was really amazed at the way that Christians were not only just having me in their home because it was Sunday afternoon, but the regular way that people's homes were open and the things that people were telling me that they were, you know, strangely enough, learning from me. I was amazed that people allowed me to take my place as an image bearer of a holy God and as a newly crafted woman of God and to be a helper. I mean, they were small things and they were big things, but I was allowed to bake bread for my pastor's wife. I was, I was involved and, and embraced, and that was really powerful. But mostly what amazed me was nobody said, wow, now that you're a Christian, I hope we can just be done with all this lesbian stuff and we can just get on with the business of getting you married off and getting you all cleaned up and getting you, you know, safely packaged in a way that we can recognize. No, that was not what my church did. My church was willing to meet me, meet me right where I was at and nurture me and love me in the Lord from there. And I learned that the biggest sin in my life was unbelief, not homosexuality. I learned that Jesus... Uh, that Jesus, the blood of Jesus covered the sin not only of my uh, enormous legacy of sexual uh, lust and other things, but also my tepid relationship to the Bible. And, um, and I just fell in love more and more with Jesus and with his church because of the way that Christians could stand with me and weep with me and walk with me and not think that suddenly I was going to be all cleaned up. Because you know what? They weren't all cleaned up either.